Ephesians chapter 3. As I was preparing for this message yesterday, I just played back the, 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 message, the last message I brought to us on this subject uh, sometime in June on the, uh, with the title of the necessity of love. And even though I was listening to myself, and I don't like to listen to myself at all, uh, I, was, I was tremendously blessed. And I'm saying this as we get into the message this morning. Please, take the time to listen to these messages over and over. Now, we have no excuse because all of the messages, Sunday and Wednesdays, are now on your phone handsets. All you have to do is just get the application, WOCFAN, W-O-C-F-A-N, and just get it, download it, and all of the messages are available within a few minutes after each service. But I'm saying this to say, we are yet to fully comprehend what God has in store for us when we fully comprehend the love message. God has given so many messages to the body of Christ, but I am convinced now more than ever before that until we fully become practitioner of this particular part of the revelation of God to the church, we will not be able to be all that God has for us. But I'm convinced, particularly in this season of grace, that God is going to open our ears, our hearts, and he's going to give us a revelation of himself as we've never seen before. Amen. I'm truly convinced of that. Amen. And so I'm saying this to you. Please, don't just hear these messages and just go away unchanged by them. Allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in your heart to wear what you are hearing. You continue to hear and at the same time, be practitioners and doers of the word. Amen? Amen. Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to start from verse 14. And there's just no way for me to review and talk about all the things we've said before now. Suffice it to say that the last time I came before you to do this message, two critical things were said to us. Number one, the necessity of love. Number one, Paul made it absolutely clear that if I operate in any gifts and I do not have love, I'm like a sounding brass and clinging cymbal. That's all it is. Whatever the gifts are, if I have all the gifts, if I can move mountains, if I can raise the dead, heal the sick, all of the gifts, if I operate in all of them, but have not love. Now, I don't want to go into all the details of why Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 13.1. I don't have the time to do that, but I need to be able to move on this morning. But it's obvious that Paul recognized how important love will be to the body. Because in Philippians chapter 1, as this man of God was dying and realizing he would never see the church again, he gave one last message. 
One last prayer for that church. In the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And the message simply was a prayer of love. He prayed that the love of God in the hearts of the Philippian church will abound what? More and more. And so this morning, let me just move quickly and look at Ephesians chapter 3. As I begin to talk to us this morning on the dimensions of love, the four dimensions of love. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole heaven in heaven and earth is named. What is he praying for? That he will grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love. You know, I never paid attention to that verse like I should have until just a couple of days ago. What is he talking about when he said you and I should be rooted and grounded in love? That we may be able, verse 18, to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of God which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Now, most of us, most of us are very, very familiar with verse 20. Most of us can quote that by, by in, in our heart. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above that which we think or ask. And we stop there. But it didn't stop. According to the power that works within us. That is the question mark. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above that which you are able to think or ask. According to the power that's working within us. What is the power that's working within us? What is that power? Now, in order to really be good Bible students, you cannot interpret any verse of scripture in isolation. You just can't bring verse 20 out and just try to understand it on its own. It does not stand alone. The full meaning of what he's saying in verse 20 comes based on the verses that precede it. So if I was to ask the question, what is the power that's working within us? It is a simple answer. It's the power of love. Is the power of love. Now let's read that scripture again. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above that which we're able to think or ask, according to the power of love that's working within you. 
that changes the equation completely. What, how can we quantify the power of love, of God's love that's working in us? That's huge, and you're going to see that in Scripture this morning. That is so huge to getting results in the kingdom of God. Because we know already that faith works through what? Love. Through love. And everything God does is motivated by his love. So of necessity, I have to have the power of love at work in me. Now, let's go back a little bit and just try to break this down, and then we can move forward. In verse 18, in Paul's prayer, Ephesians chapter 3, he says, we may be able to comprehend with all these things what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Now, how do you know something that passes knowledge? It sounds like a contradiction. We're going to address that in a minute. But before I do that, let's talk about these four dimensions that Paul just mentioned. And I really want us to pay attention to really grasp these four dimensions. I've mentioned them before, but I'm going to mention them again this morning slowly, carefully, deliberately, because I want you to get them. Paul talks about the width of God's love. He talks about the length of his love. He talks about the depth of his love. And then he talks about the height of his love. Four dimensions of the love of God that we should not discount. So the first thing he says, the width of the love of God. What is that? The width of God's love describes to you and I the extent of God's love. It includes everyone and does not exclude anyone. Oh my God. Think about that for a moment. The width of God's love. The extent of the reach of the love of God. And the idea here is, Paul wants you and I to know that the love of God includes everyone and does not exclude anybody. Even as we speak, it includes Hitler. Idi Amin. Boko Haram. Osama Bin Laden. Now, you need to understand these things in this perspective so you know how big God is. In our little world, we have this tunnel vision whereby we qualify people and how we love them by how we feel about them. And we bring that perspective to God. And we think God is like us. But Paul is helping us understand there are four dimensions of God's love. And the first one is the width of it, which describes to us the extent of his love. I can give you scriptures. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Ephesians 2, 11. Therefore, remember that you, oh man, Paul's nailing us. 
when I mention Hitler's name, Boko Haram, Idi Amin, some of you are saying, oh, really, I mean, no, we're not. But now, it gives you scripture. It said, it said, remember that you, 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 you that is judging and qualifying people, remember that you, even you, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called on circumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands. In other words, Paul is saying for you and I that sit down here today looking good, there was a time when another people called you uncircumcised and by so doing labeled you and said to themselves, you do not qualify to be a part of God's kingdom. So before you disqualify anybody else, remember that you are where they are now. Hello? Let me move on. But look at verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What good news. What a great news. Now, I know I threw those names out to wake you up. Hitler, Idi Amin, Osama bin Laden. When you read 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, the Bible says very clearly that Jesus Christ is being made a propitiator for our sins. Comma. Not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. What are you going to do about that? The God that you and I relate to is a God whose heart is so large. He is so large. And Paul is giving us the dimensions of his love. Number one, his width. It's an all-inclusive God. All-inclusive Number two dimension, Ephesians chapter 3, we are given the length, the length of his love. This describes to us the tenor of God's love. In other words, it's an everlasting love. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3, the Bible talks about how with loving kindness I have called you and with an everlasting love I will love you. So God's love for you and I did not just begin today. Mm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. His love for you, if you can take this, did not start when you got born again. The length of his love is from everlasting to everlasting. He said to Jeremiah in chapter 1 verse 5, before you were born, I knew you. David told us in Psalms 23 verse 6, Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So you see, in Jeremiah, he knew him before he was born. In David, he said, the goodness of God will follow him all the days of his life. From everlasting to everlasting, God has loved us. Now, let me give you scriptures. Let me give you scriptures. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Look at what the Bible said. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him 
in love. So when were you chosen? Thank you. The rest of you. When were we chosen? Some of you are still thinking about it. When were we chosen? We were chosen before the foundation of the earth. You were chosen. Michael Jackson was chosen. Yes. Osama was chosen. Yes. Boko Haram was chosen. Yes. Now, whether they responded to the call or not, it's a different matter. But with God, that was settled. Chosen before the war began. Till when? Ephesians 2 verse 7. Look at Ephesians 2 7. So we know we were chosen before the war began. Ephesians 2 7, that in the ages to come, it might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. When is it going to happen? In ages to come. So you were chosen before it started and he's still going to choose and love you in ages to come. The love of God. He has a width. He has a, a length. And number three, Ephesians 3 verse 18 again, we know the width, we know the length. Paul also talks to us about the depth. He wants me and you to know the width, length, depth, and height of God's love. If the width describes the extent of God's love, and the length describes the tenor of God's love, the depth describes to us the far-reaching hand of God. Oh, hallelujah. This should bring joy to everyone in this room. He reaches down deep to rescue us no matter how deep in sin we are. Oh, I had a shouting time yesterday as I was preparing and thinking and meditating on this message and I got to this point about the depth of God's love. God is saying to us, no matter how deep his creation is in sin, you are not without, or you are not outside of the reach of God. Woo! Thank you, Lord Jesus. No matter how wicked, no matter how evil, no matter how sinful mankind may be, God wants us to know you are never out of his reach. And as I thought about that, I remembered Jonah, who as a disobedient prophet was running away from God and finally had to be swallowed by a whale deep in the midst of the ocean. And he cried out to God. And the Bible said, God sent a rescue mission. Oh, hallelujah. And as I was thinking about that, I remember the songwriter, Candy Staten. Years ago, did a song that really blessed me. He said, I was once deep in sin and I could rise no more. He said, but then the despairing cry from me reached the master of the sea and in that moment, love lifted me. And I don't know who I'm speaking to today. I want you to know 
No matter how deep you've been in your mess, in your sinful lifestyle, in the wickedness or the evil that you are in, I want you to know that you are yet within the reach of God's love. It does not matter how deep you've gone. Love will yet lift you up to the glory of God. That's why he descended. Hallelujah. So that when he ascended, he may bring you up with him. He does not want you to remain in the descent of sin, but he wants you to ascend to the glory of the heavenlies. And so we know the width of his love. We know the length of his love. We know the depth of his love. And then, of course, Paul tells us there's a height of his love. And the height describes for us the promotion that's waiting for us because of God's love. Because Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says, we are now seated together with him in the heavenly places. You see, he descended so that in his ascent, he will take you up with him. That's why when I read John chapter 3 verse 8, he blesses me. He talks about how the Holy Spirit is dealing in the life of a believer before and after salvation. It's like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. You see, you don't know the depth of sin that God brought me from. But you don't know where it's taking me. So you see, what I'm saying to us this morning is we need to come into an appreciation of the four dimensions of God's love. Why is that important? Why is that important? I'm going to show us. I'm going to close in a minute. Why is that important? Go with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Wow, it's hot in this place. All right, okay. All right. I just take off my jacket. First John 4, verse 16. Please pay attention to this verse. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Two key thoughts. Two key thoughts. We have known and we have believed. We have known and we have believed. Do we know the love of God? Hello? <laughs> Remember Ephesians chapter 3? Paul's prayer. He said that we should come to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. This is the challenge for us in the body of Christ. If I ask any of us right now if you know the love of God, everybody will say, yes, pastor. And, I'm, and, I, and I believe you are sincere. I believe so. So I'm not downplaying that at all. If I was to ask the question across the room, how many people here believe in the love of God or know the love of God? Everybody say, I know the love of God. But Paul just said in Ephesians chapter 3 that we should pray, that we should come to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. So what is he talking about? And then in 1 John chapter 4 verse 16, we just read it. 
where this apostle of love said, I have known the love and I believed it. Okay, this is the point. There's a far difference between the intellectually knowing something and experientially knowing it. This is the issue. Many of us, 100% of us, know the love of God. But there's a big gulf between knowing that love intellectually and experiencing it, knowing in your lower. Noah. Huge. Huge difference. And I'm praying, this is my prayer, that God will help us to make that transition from the head knowledge to the heart knowledge to having a real experiential revelation of the love of God. Because when you get to that place, you are a dangerous person to the devil. Totally, completely dangerous. Totally, completely dangerous. And it's easy to know when you are there. The opinion of men and women will not count any longer. The insecurities you feel will go. Absolutely. Because when you get to that point, your total, complete matter of self-worth and significance will not be based on your human relationships alone, but definitely based on your connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, key. That's it. You will only live to the audience of one, not multiple. That's when you'll know. And it is huge, huge, as you're about to see in a minute. So we need to make a transition from the intellectual understanding of God's love to the knowing experientially. That word known or knowing is epignosis, which means experiential knowledge. It's the same word that the Bible uses when it talks about Adam knew his wife. And I know there are some small children here this morning, otherwise I would be very graphic. Because I want to make sure you get this message. No, no, seriously. Seriously. Adam knowing his wife was not an intellectual thing. It was not intellectual. He was not sitting in the classroom and saying, ah, Eve, I wonder if she's, she went to Victoria's Secret. He was not thinking about, what is she wearing? Is it Victoria's Secret? Is it Walmart? Is it Nordstrom? No, he wasn't thinking about that. He knew. He knew precisely. He wasn't guessing what the color was. Blue, white, yellow, or flowers. No. No. Experiential knowledge. He knew. He knew. He knew. He saw it, partook it, knew it. Nothing hidden in that transaction. Are you following what I'm saying to you? I'm speaking in quotes, but I'm sure you, you, you're following what I'm saying. When Adam knew his wife, there was nothing lost in that transaction. He could leave the place, say, yes, I'm refreshed. I knew her. Hello? So God, in a like manner, wants you and I to experience his love like that. Remove it from the intellectual shelf of what we think God's love is. How will God respond in this situation? What will happen in this? No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's something for the storybooks. But once you, you've experienced it, it's a totally different thing. Nobody has to tell you about it. You know it. So Paul said he's praying that you and I will come to know the love of God 
that surpasses knowledge. Revelation. Experience. Experience. Now, not only do we need to know it, we need to believe it. Ma, 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 ma. First John 4, 16. We've known it and we've believed it. Again, again, like the word no. If I say, how many people believe the love of God here? Everybody's hand would go up. What does that word believe mean? Is it just talking about a mental ascent? No. The Greek word there is pistio. And the best way for me to describe it so you can get it is to use the true story of the guy who's an acrobat who crossed the Niagara Falls years ago. Look at what happened. They put a wire across the falls. Stepped on the wire and crossed it to the applause of the crowd who were waiting, watching him. Wow! This is awesome! He finished crossing and then he asked the audience a question. Do you guys believe in me? And I said, yeah! Cross number one. Then he asked the next question. How many of you believe I can do this with a wheelbarrow? Yeah! So he takes a wheelbarrow and goes across again. And was successful. Again, to the applause of the audience. Wow! Now the crowd is really getting wild now. Cross it alone the first time. Cross it the second time, pushing a wheelbarrow. On the third time now, how many of you still believe in me? Hey! Do you believe in me enough to get in the wheelbarrow and I'm going to push it? First two times, everybody saying, we believe. The third time, I'm going to push it now with this wheelbarrow, but I want you inside as I push. <laughs> there were no takers. <laughs> What's the point in this story? They did not believe. That's what we do with God. God, yeah, promotion, yeah, I believe. New car, yes, I believe. New house, yeah, God, now you're talking, yes, I believe. When things begin to happen that you don't understand, when discomfort shows up, when relationships are going bad, when things begin to happen that you didn't count on, all of a sudden, you are not totally convinced. You are not as believing as you were before. That's the problem. God has to help us to know that the kind of love he has for us should be reciprocated in the fact that God's love never changes. Huge. Huge. So we have to know the love and we have to believe the love. Now why is this critical? Why must this be so? You ask. Another true story. 
a 4,500-year seed was found in the pyramid in Egypt. 4,500 years of his, a seed, a seed, buried with the Pharaoh. Why? Because those guys believe that the Pharaoh will get hungry in the afterlife and you have something to eat. If Pharaoh could tell them now that where he is, there's, there's no need for food, there's only need for air conditioning. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, true story nonetheless. They found this seed in the pyramid. 4,500 years. First, they were astonished that the integrity of the seed was intact. So the scientists said, wait a minute, let's, let's go to the next step. Let's, let's try something. Let's plant it. They planted it in the soil and boom, it grows. After 4,500 years, the seed still grew because the life that was in it was not tampered with. That life had been there for 4,500 years, but it lacked the saw to release the life into manifestation. The point here is, the reason God wants me and you to get love so much is because love is the soil through which the life of God in us can be manifested. You have life in you. It's there. It's inherent. God gave it to you when he spoke his word and you received that seed of that word. But you need that word, the life of God in you, to be planted in an environment that will bring forth life. And that environment is love. Love. Oh my goodness. Love. Now, let's go to an example that you can all relate to. John chapter 11. You are just love away to releasing the love of God in you. That's it. That's it. That's the soil, the earth, through which the seed, the life of God in you, can sprout. That was amazing. And after 4,500 years, the seed still came back to life. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Amazing story. Amazing story. This could be anybody USA. This Lazarus. It could be anybody here. It could be any situation, any circumstance, any hardship, any distress. You have one chance to get Jesus. One shot to make your request. One shot to get his attention. The sisters, they were in distress in the heat of a situation that needed urgent attention. Their brother was dying. He was sick. 
It is amazing to me, folks, that when he finally got before Jesus, they did not recount. Jesus, remember when you come to our house? How we spread the table for you? All the nice meals we've had. The good times we've had together. Oh, they did not even go near to say, Jesus, Lazarus loves you very much. Lazarus just loves you. Please, come and help him. One shot to make your case. One request. Notice what they said to Jesus. Jesus, the one whom you love. is sick. They did not say Jesus, Lazarus who loves you is sick. That won't count. But they said to him, Jesus, Lazarus whom you love. You, you, Jesus, you love him. We are not going to bring, bring this petition on the basis of Lazarus' credit. That's the mistake you make. God, I've been fasting for three days. So what? God, I've been praying for 19 years. So what? As if your prayer and your fasting is what God needs to work. There's only one thing that motivates God. It's not your effort. It's not how hard you work. It's not how hard you prayed. It's not how you fasted. No. There is only one thing God recognizes. The constancy and the consistency of his love toward us. His love never changes. His love does not come rejection. His love loves without expecting a return. His love does not care if you reject him. His love remains constant. That's the only thing that brings result. Pastor, you said we should not pray. No, I'm not saying we should not pray. Prayer is essential. You should pray. Prayer changes you, not God. God, Pastor, should I fast? Absolutely you should fast. Fasting changes you, not God. God's position has already been determined. He has loved you with an everlasting love. It will not change. God's position is predetermined. No matter how far down you go, he will rescue you. That will not change. Hallelujah. Oh, I don't know about you, but I am glad this afternoon. God is not counting on me to bless me. He is counting on himself to bless me. When I'm unfaithful, he will be faithful because that's who he is. Hallelujah. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. I wonder what kind of results we get in prayer if we start praying like that. Lord, I thank you for loving me. Father, today, bank Akimala whom you love. I'm in need of a touch. Oh, hallelujah. Father, bank Akimala for whom you died has a need. I know you love me. That is already settled. Therefore, Father God, in the name of your son Jesus, because of your love towards me, meet this need. Rather than going before God and become so piety, so piety and, and, and so religious and say, Father God, oh, eternal rock of ages. And you see God, yes, I've been here in this house now, all known you for 17 years. Really? Really? If there's anything God wants us to know, it's not about us. 
Lord, the one whom you love is sick. And notice the verse 5. The emphasis is made again. Now Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. For emphasis sake, so you can understand how to get resolved with God. What moves God is his son, Jesus. That's it. That's it. This is why it's important. Now, now, I don't want to miss the point. If Martha and Mary did not have a healthy understanding of God's love for them, would they make that request like that? That's the main point I want to make. They understood it. And so they did not go to Jesus with a laundry list and catalog of what Lazarus has done. Martha did not go to Jesus saying, you know, I was the one that was working so hard to cook for you. They had enough understanding to know that won't count. But the one request God could not say no to. The one thing he could not turn down is love towards them. How would that change your prayer life? How will it change the way you pray? When you come to the understanding of God's love for you. And not just knowing it, but believing it. It changes everything. It changes everything. Now, let me just close on this note. I want to just finish by making a very clear distinction. You hear love, love, love. We've talked about it so long. We've defined it as best as we can. Somebody did a great job last week. Was it last week? When he talked about, yes, I can't remember what, when it was now. When he talked about John 13. Great job. I would help us in this final minutes understanding the real definition of love. Now, to do that, let me give you one last story. In the church in Ephesus, Apostle John spent his last days in that church. Old man, dying, but they will still bring him to church every week. Hear this. This is a true story. And before the elders will bring the word, they will go to John. The apostle of love is sitting in your midst. Of course, you go to him and say, What's the word for the church today? True story. Week after week, what's the word? Is there anything we should say to the church? His answer was always this. Love one another. First week, love one another. Second week, love one another. Third week, love one another. Ah. So they said, that's why I baffled a Is there another message? That's gone on for a while. So finally they asked him, John, is there another message? Week after week after week, we ask you, what's your word to the church? What's your exhortation to the church? Love one another. Is there any other message? And he gave this answer. That is the only thing God requires. You love one another, you fulfill all the other requirements. That's what he told them. They were looking for another message. They said, no, no, listen, if you just do this one thing, you fulfill all the requirements. That's it. Now, I'm saying that to say this. In John 13 verse 35, 
Jesus said, 34, 35, a new commandment I give unto you. Love one another as I have loved you. Because by this shall all men know that you are indeed my disciples. This is, this, question, this is the question for us. This is what really helps make this love question easier to manage. Miss Renee, can you command romantic love? No. But listen to what God said. Love one another. It's a command. Love one another. Butchie, love one another. So obviously, he could not be speaking about the kind of love you and I think about. Because you cannot command romance. You cannot command storge. You cannot command phileo. You cannot command that I love Daniel in a warming, fuzzy feeling way. It cannot be a command. It has to be a process of relationship developing. You cannot command a man to love a woman romantically without a relationship being established. So when God said love one another, you can scrap, you can check out romance. That's not what he's saying. You can cancel out relationship. That's not what he's saying. No. Are you hearing me so far? Please, I want you, don't miss this because this, this, this is the whole message. I want to make sure you get that. Do you understand why I said you cannot command relationships or love as we know it romantically, friendly wise, and relationally? Do you understand that? Um, how absurd will it be, Joseph, to call you out and say, Look at Bucci, I command you to love her? <laughs> totally disregarding that you are a married man, she may be a married woman, or she's spoken of for, and yet I said, love one another. Is that not absurd? Would that not be ridiculous? Yet in spite of those boundaries, he says, love one another. I, I want to make sure, I'm, I'm treading slowly, because I want to make sure the point is well made. Coach, are you hearing me? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? When I say love one another, love Sister Bissola, you know I'm not saying you should go and marry her tonight. tonight. Okay. I, I just want to make sure. I don't want people to come to church and say, Pastor said, love one another. I just grab this woman. <laughs> I just want to make sure that we, we have understanding. <laughs> However, the people that heard Jesus say love one another, they didn't get that confession. They were not confused in the least bit what he was saying when he said love one another. Whether it was talking to a married man, married woman, no matter what, they did not have any confusion. Why is that? You need to know. That word love in 1 John chapter 4 in verse, I believe 19 is both in the noun and in the verb. Love as a noun is what I get, what I feel. My wife loves me. I'm passive. I'm in a passenger seat. I'm receiving something from her. She's receiving something from me. You follow that? And that something is based on a relationship that's ongoing. But love, the verb, 
is a totally different thing. That love, the verb, puts you at the wheel in a driver's seat. Love, the verb, is an action word. So when the Bible says, love one another, he's not talking about Eros, Storge, or Phileo. He's talking about a self-sacrificing, self-giving action word. He's talking about you and I. Oh my God. For God so loved the world. What did he do? His only begotten son. Action. He didn't love the world and just remain in heaven. Oh, I feel fuzzy about these guys. Mm, I love them. Oh my God. I have a good feeling towards them. And just say, I'll pray for them. No. For God so loved the world. He, 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 he gave. So the love that God is charging you and I to give to one another is the action verb word love, which means we must be willing to make sacrifices, demands on our time, on our life, on our treasures, on our gifting to be a blessing to somebody else. You say, how do I define this love? Very simple. Look at the cross. This is a cross-shaped love. Now, I know I'm taking a little time, but it's because I want to make the point. It's important you get it. This love that Jesus talks about, love one another, or love your neighbor as yourself, has nothing to do with emotion or feelings. This is where we get sidetracked. Um, waiting to have a good fuzzy feeling for Charles, and then I'll love him. You're wrong. I'm waiting to get a fuzzy feeling for Tunde Loye. Then I'll, I'll do No! When you say love one another, that kind of action carries with it no emotion or feelings whatsoever. You don't have to feel a thing on that one. After all, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So does that mean you go to your neighbor's house and say, you know what, man, I'm having warm, fuzzy feeling towards you now. Oh my God, can I hug you? Man, they're going to make you mayor of San Francisco in a hurry. If you know what I'm talking about. Man. Okay, let me leave that alone. But that's not the kind of love. But what he said is, go and serve your neighbor. What's their need in their life? What do they need that you can be able, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can give your life, give your sacrifice, do something with that. That's what he's talking about. Amen. That's the point Samuel was making last Sunday. This kind of love that we should give to one another carries no emotion or feelings. So don't wait for a feeling. I just don't feel right about uh, Sarah. I just don't feel right about Bisola. I just don't feel right about LT. I'm not feeling goosebumps about them when I think of them. And so I can't act. No. Agape does not go on feelings. It does not. Now, this is a good question. This, this will make it clear for you. How warm, fuzzy feeling was Jesus on the way to Via de la Rosa? As he was carrying that cross on the, on the road, 
to Golgotha. Was he? Oh man, I just hey man, I feel warm, fuzzy feeling towards them. The guy was in pain. He was crying. He was being beaten, and yet not deterred in his goal to go to the cross. That's the self-giving, sacrificial love kind of love. That's what God is calling us to do. He wasn't feeling good about it. No. There was no form, one fuzzy feeling about that at all. No. But in spite of that, he did it. So now he says, do the same form. This, do the same thing for your brothers and your sisters. Do we get it? So don't be waiting to feel something to do something. Big mistake. You see the need? Ask God to help you to be the answer to somebody's problem. But remember, in so doing, it may cost you your time, your gift, your treasure. It will cost you because it costs to act in a selfless, self-giving way. But Jesus gives us the assurance. When we do that, then the world will know truly we are his disciples. That's what's been lacking. We must get that. Yes, thank God for the arrows, the filio, and the stogila. We thank God for those. But on top of that, we must have agape. And this agape means there may be no feelings, there may be no emotions. Nonetheless, we are charged to love one another. It's a command. Just remember that. You cannot command romance. You can't. But you can command acting, doing something for someone. Why? Because God's done something bigger for you. When you recognize what God has done for you, he, he puts it in perspective in being able to do something for somebody else. And so, Father God, we want to thank you this afternoon. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray, God, that you bring us to the place of knowing your love in an experiential way. Now, the way that starts, the way you start to know that, Philemon chapter, well, Philemon verse 6. Paul is talking to Philemon. He says that Philemon should acknowledge the things that has been given to him in Christ Jesus. So what I'm saying to us is how we get to the place of knowing God's love, you first have to acknowledge it. You acknowledge that to God in your prayer time, in your time that you're talking to God. Say to God, God, I thank you because I know you love me. You need to acknowledge that it's there because the truth is everything you need in God is already in you. Already, everything. It just needs to be acknowledged so it can be tapped and released. And so, Lord, we, re we receive the release. We, re we receive the release of your love for us right now. And as we receive it, we are thanking you that we are believing it. Leaning heavily. Receiving and believing the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Thank you, Father, that we're not going to be just hearers of the word, but we're going to be doers of your word. Open our eyes to see the needs around us. And we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to meet those needs. Thank you, Father. We bless you and thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.